Well, while you remain standing, let me lead us in prayer, and then uh, we'll consider uh, that wonderful chapter, Luke chapter 1. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for speaking to us through your word this morning. We, we give you uh, thanks for the way that you keep your promises, and we pray that as we think about that today, that you'll grow us and uh, shape us in, in, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, please take a seat. Well, it's a great joy, isn't it, when someone keeps a promise. Uh, we rightly celebrate wedding anniversaries because they, they mark a promise being kept. On the 24th of April in 1916, a man made a promise, even as the Easter Rising was beginning in Dublin and even as the terrible battle for the Somme began to ramp up in France. Ten months after his ship was trapped by sea ice and crushed, a captain made a decision to leave his crew, but he promised that he would come back for them. Twenty-one men stayed behind on the ice of Elephant Island in the Antarctic as Ernest Shackleton set out with five others in a ship's boat to sail 1,600 kilometres across the Southern Ocean with just one month's worth of supplies. He was aiming for the whaling station on the island of South Georgia and his promise to his men was that he would return or that he would die in the attempt to rescue them. Well, Ernest Shackleton kept that promise. He made the journey. It involved him climbing a cliff, an ice cliff, with just a piece of rope and trekking across South Georgia that had never been done before. He made the journey... He completed the rescue and not a single man was lost. Now it's easy to focus on the courage and guts of Ernest Shackleton, but I want us for a moment to turn our attention elsewhere. I want you to think for a moment about the crew that he left on the ice. How would they have felt as the only boat they had sailed away from them with their captain on board? How would the days have dragged by as they waited to see if their trust in Shackleton was well placed or mistaken to the point of their long, icy, starving death? And how then would they have felt when at last they saw the ship on the horizon and then the the waving arms and smiling face of their captain as he returned for them? Imagine the tears of joy boiling out of them that day. Is there anything greater than a promise being kept like that? Well, Luke's Gospel is about a greater promise and a far, far greater joy. It's a carefully researched and thoughtfully presented account of the greatest promise ever made and ever kept by the greatest promise keeper. Now we started the journey into that account last week and today we pick up the story in chapter 1 and verse 26. Our reading went through to verse 38 but I'm going to be looking at the remainder of chapter 1 so it would be well worth your while to make sure that you have your Bibles open to Luke chapter 1. So if you haven't got them open, grab them out now. Luke chapter 1. 
Luke chapter 1. And in verse 26, you'll discover that there comes a message from God. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 28. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, favoured one, the Lord is with you. Now that's all fairly normal, I guess, in one way. Uh, But I want to clear up a little bit of angel mythology while we're here. Uh, Angels attract a lot of press and focus in the world these days, don't they? There's, There's books written about them and TV shows and all kinds of things. People tell their children that guardian angels are looking after them day after day and that even if they drive like lunatics with their pee plates on, there'll be a guardian angel sitting on the bonnet protecting them from tree branches and, and posts and things like that. There are stories of harps and of bows and arrows and of falling in love, all with angels involved. Ads do well out of angels, movies. But interestingly, if you have a look at the Bible, not a lot is said about them. And the ones that are there, they never get mentioned as having wings or halos, interestingly enough. And I've never seen an account of one with an arrow or a bow. Angels are, however, always worth listening to if they show up. Always. It's only when God says or is about to do something that's really big or really important that angels appear in the Bible. So if ever you read a passage there that has an angel in it, take special note. Stop and think. And if one rocks up at your house, well then take special note of that as well. Here, the angel Gabriel has a message from God. Now, it's not just a normal message. There has been, at the time that the angel Gabriel comes, 400 years of silence from God to the Israelite people. No word from him for 400 years. No prophets, nothing. And after 400 years of silence from God, the angel says, get ready. Luke chapter 1, verses 29 to 33. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God, And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will give him the name Jesus. He'll be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom of his kingdom there will be no end. Get ready because here he comes, God the Son. The promised ruler of Israel and his reign will be an eternal one. Get ready. Get ready because God's king is coming and salvation is coming with him. Now, not one means of salvation among many, not one rescue, perhaps like Shackleton's or something like that, not one among many, but the salvation, the rescue that God had promised ages and ages ago. You see, the age of salvation is dawning. The day is coming to pass. Filled with the Holy Spirit, Zechariah pours out the stunning truth. And I want you to flick to Luke chapter 1, verses 68 to 79. It's a long reading and I'd like to spend more time on it, but I don't have the luxury. So let me read through it and you'll be able to, at home, think on it some more. This is what Zechariah says, filled by the Holy Spirit. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has looked favourably on his people and redeemed them. 
He has raised up a mighty saviour for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Thus he has shown the mercy promised to our ancestors and has remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our ancestor Abraham to grant to us that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. I think they might be some of the most stunning words ever said, if you understand the promise that comes with them. You see, the Old Testament prophets had looked forward to this day. They'd longed for it. But I guess 400 years of silence from God might have had the people wondering about the truth of the matter. And we learn from this passage straight away that God looks at time differently than we look at time. Now, I tend to get pretty impatient if I have to wait at the corner for three cars to pass or if I have to wait in a queue for more than five people at the fish and chip shop. But God is not like us. We don't make God in our own image, as some atheists are fond of saying. If we made him in our own image, we wouldn't have to wait 400 years for him to speak to us at various points, would we? God has made his people wait 400 years to hear his voice and the best part of a thousand years to fulfill the promise that he made in 2 Samuel chapter 7 to King David. A thousand years to wait for a promise to come true. 2 Samuel chapter 7, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom Forever. Now, a thousand years is a long time to remember a promise, isn't it? And now we sit 2,000 years after Jesus was born, and I have no doubt that there are people among us wondering if God is now faithful and active. It's been so long since Jesus, hasn't it? Maybe his return is not going to happen after all. But remember this. After all that time between David and Jesus... God had not forgotten. God was not inactive. God spoke and then, in fulfilment to what he said, he acted. Now we might not like the timing, but the message is clear and the implications are huge. Listen to Isaiah chapter 7 verse 13. Then Isaiah said, Hear now you, house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of men? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel is Hebrew for God with us. Get ready because here comes God the Son, God in the flesh. Now sometimes people say that they would only believe in God if they saw him. Well, if you'd been in Palestine 2,000 years ago, 
You could have seen him. You could have walked with him, and spoken with him, you could have eaten with him, you could have watched him act, you could have touched him. You would have seen God in the flesh fulfilling his greatest promise to the world. The angels spoke of thrones and of the house of David and there can be no mistaking what was being said of Jesus by the angel. This is no great moral teacher about to come into the world. This is no simple prophet or just an example of how to live. Have a listen again to the promise being made to King David in 2 Samuel 7. Now I will make your name great like the names of the greatest men of the earth And I'll provide a place for my people Israel and I'll plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did in the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. God's people in God's place under God's rule by God's own son. That's a promise made a long time ago. But it's a reliable promise made by a reliable God. And how do we know? Because we've seen it unfold. Get ready because God the Son is coming. Now it can be so very easy for us to get distracted, can't it? As we live the Christian life. Work can get in the way of our relationship with God. Our families can get in the way of our relationship with God. We can be discouraged by what we see as a lack of answered prayer. Church can be a frustration for us rather than a joy and we can get in the habit of being somewhere else and not being regular. We can get out of the habit of praying and reading our Bibles and some have even walked away. Still believing in something I guess but in something that's far, far more accommodating to their lifestyle. But the fact is that Jesus doesn't go away, does he? And the fact is that God's promises stand before us, clear, crystal clear and fulfilled. God keeps his promises to save and to judge. And that's something that we must never, ever forget. For 400 years, Israel hadn't heard a word from God, but then it came. You'll be with child, and you'll give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, Sometimes we're just not patient enough, are we? Sometimes we just don't roll up our sleeves and persevere. And sometimes we'd like to blame God for that as well. But the facts don't change. Jesus, the only means for salvation, 
for freedom from our great enemies of sin and death was promised and into history he has stepped. As we wonder about how we could possibly ever relate to a holy God and live righteously enough to stand in his presence, yet Jesus was born that that might be true. Jesus was born to live an obedient and God-pleasing life so that by his grace, his righteousness might be given as a gift to us. He was born to die, to take away our sin. He was born to rise so that we might have the hope of eternal life and that he might rule over us as an ever-living and ever-perfect king, knowing our struggles and yet not stumbling under them. And how are we to respond to all of this? Well, if we responded like Mary did, we'd be in a pretty good place. So let's have a look at how she responds to God's word. Luke chapter 1 verse 38. It's subtle, so make sure you have it there. After hearing that she's going to have a baby, she says, Here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. You notice that there's no what's in it for me? There's no, I don't think I can afford it in terms of time or money. There's no, well, if I can fit it in around my other engagements or if it was more convenient or appealing to me. And there's not even a question of how this will go with regard to her reputation. God speaks and as his servant, Mary trusts him obediently. Here she is a good example for us to follow, isn't she? After all, God hasn't changed. If he was worth trusting and obeying then, and in those circumstances, well then he's worth trusting and obeying in ours and now. If you have a look at what Mary goes on to say, you'll see that her mind isn't just on herself and her present either. Verses 50 and following, she says, For his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. What God has done and is doing counts for Mary and for us, the generations that follow. And she lives her life in the light of what God says. It's a great start to an incredible story, isn't it? And it asks us, is our understanding of God and his faithfulness big enough? Is our scale of patience long enough? Are we ready for what is ahead of us like they were to be ready for what stood before them? I want to finish today by looking at a few very important verses that run through the passage. All of them reflect on the certainty of what God says. All of them speak a very different song to the one that normally fills our ears with feelings and human ability. They all focus on the certainty that comes from hearing what God says. So firstly, verses 37 and 38. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here I am, the servant of the Lord. 
let it be with me according to your word. Then verse 45. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfilment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. Verses 55 and, uh, uh, 54 and 55. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. Verses 69 and 70. He has raised up a mighty saviour for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. And verses 72 and 73. Thus he has shown the mercy promised to our ancestors and has remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our ancestor Abraham. There are not a great many things in this world that are reliable, are there? Sadly, the word of people is not always as reliable as we'd like it. It's not always as reliable as the word of Ernest Shackleton. But here in Luke's carefully researched manuscript, we do find something that is sure and certain. God is faithful. God is powerful and merciful. And in line with his promises that he always keeps, in line with his never-failing word, we can have hope because he has promised an eternal saviour and ruler to those who would put their trust in him. And God's word never fails. Let me pray for us now. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your faithful word and we apologise for our faithlessness. We pray, Heavenly Father, that by your Holy Spirit, you'd build in us a greater trust in you and in your reliability and in the consistency of your word. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that we might live in the light of that word, rightly and obediently, in Jesus' precious name. Amen.